I want to acknowledge the Gadigal people of the Eora Nation, the traditional custodians of this land on which I work and live on. I pay respect to elders past, present, and future. Hi, welcome to the Coffee Chat Podcast. On today's episode, I chatted to Maya, Jacob, and Elmitra, who I have had the absolute pleasure of working with this year on an amazing project, The Breaths in Between. We chatted about the project, a deep dive into imposter syndrome, the creative process, casting, and some fun rapid fire questions. So grab a coffee and enjoy. Welcome. To the Coffee Chat Podcast. Thank you for all coming on. Love. We're, are we happy to be here? It's so yes, happy to yeah. be here. So happy to be here. Um, okay, so I'm going to start because, okay, I'm, I'm going to admit I haven't done a Zoom recording with like three other people. Also, you're all a guest. So this is going to be fun and we're going to get through it together. So let's do a little rapid fire introduction of yourselves. Um, so just tell us who you are. And just whatever you want, honestly. Like, what do you want the world to know you as? Whoever's listening right now. So, who wants to start? I feel like a teacher. <laughs> Maya, you go. <laughs> sure. Yep, I'm happy to go. Um, so, hi, my name is Maya. Uh, my pronouns are she, her. I'm coming to you from beautiful Wurundjeri country today. Um, I am the co-founder of 11 O'Clock Theatre and the director of The Breaths In Between. Um, yeah, I am a um, queer artist, a culturally and linguistically diverse artist, and I just really, really love working with incredible people to produce new work. Oh, that's really beautiful. Oh, thank you. You're welcome. <laughs> <laughs> Who's next? All right, I guess I'll go. Um, my name is Jacob Quek. I use he, him pronouns, and I'm also coming to you from Wurundjeri country. Um, I am the assistant director on the Breaths in Between project. Um, I am a person of color. Um, and I won't delve into all the identities because I think that it's a very complex thing, yeah. but what else do I want people to know about me? Um, I <laughs> have been wanting to get a haircut for so long and I just have not been able to, and I'm wow. so hesitant to cut my own hair. So I, that's me. That's what the world will know me as. That's recorded. So that's it that's out that's there. all of my identities wrapped up into one amazing um, love. i will go like last um i'm almitra um i'm i use she her pronouns i'm coming from beautiful gadigal land uh sydney and um i am primarily a performer but recently um writer composer as well uh been loving writing composing stories that matter that comes from the heart um i guess <laughs> for me i'm um, i'm persian pakistani we love the lovely mixed breed that's what i am it's <laughs> what it is all right that's what it is let's call it that <laughs> uh no i'm i'm very um i'm very happy to be here in sydney um but yes there are there are times when obviously you miss home and stuff but Happy to be here, easy to work with, you know, it's, I love tea. That's, that's me. Great. Cheers. Easy to work with. That's, <laughs> and which was like, I want work. So I'm easy to work with everyone. Shameless plug. Shameless plug. Shameless, yeah. So subtle, just like, <laughs> I love. 
Um, okay, so obviously, I guess for this episode of the podcast, we're going to talk about the breaths in between um, and 11 o'clock theater and all that beautiful stuff, which we're, we're gonna, I'm excited. We're going to deep dive. Um, but let's have a little, I guess, like how did 11 o'clock theater start? Let's just start with a little there. So I don't know, Maya, is that is that yeah. you? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so 11 o'clock theater started as an idea um, between uh, myself, um, and Bronya Doyle, who's the other co-founder, um, and another person who's unfortunately no longer involved in the project. But it it started as a place for us to all come together. We'd all been working in um, like student theater and independent theater, and we really wanted a space where we could make work that we really cared about and make work that was like genuinely. Australian and uplifted the Australian musical theatre community because um, it's quite a it can oftentimes it's a really beautiful space to be in but it can also be a really toxic and competitive space to be in particularly in that sort of amateur independent space um, so we really just wanted to create a space where we could work on stuff that we were passionate about and create like a safe space for other people to explore their work as well yeah I love that and um, for anyone wondering how did the name come about um, so the name came about because much like um, many people involved in theatre, we all thrive under pressure at the 11th hour. That's when the best work happens. Um, so 11 o'clock theatre kind of came from that um, from that concept um, of the 11 o'clock number. Yeah. Oh, I love that. I actually really love that. And I did not know that. Me it's either. Great. I'm very glad. <laughs> very glad. So you learn something new every day. <laughs> I didn't. That's a thing? Is that? A yeah. Thing? Shook. Shooketh. <laughs> I really connect with that because I'm such a nice person that all my work gets done at nighttime. Really? I'm not. Yeah. I'm just like, <gasps> nah, I need to like pre-plan everything. And if I leave everything to the last minute, that's it. I um, wish I was you. Like I'm, I'm the same Jacob. Yeah. yeah I'm we, I'm you. Try. You need to, yeah. I need to be organized, which is why I'm just like panic when I have assignments and I, I need it physically there to remind me every time oh, I just pa I panic for sure I like cry but then I get it done like I'll still procrastinate it like I'll be like this is due in a week and I had a week but I'll do it the night before for sure I, I <laughs> like I'll I'll work towards it and it'll still finish the yeah. night before but I don't even do that <laughs> no I don't know how really people bad. I don't know how people pull all-nighters it's not a thing I'm really also exposing myself to you guys about maybe how I get writing done. <laughs> no, I love it. Love yeah, it. So <laughs> writing <that's>... is different. <laughs> yeah. Writing and composing is different because I will I will delve into like 3 a.m. Because also, but also that's that's like half my brain. It'll wake up at 3 a.m. be like, oh, tune. <laughs> this is true. And then you put on headphones so you don't wake up your neighbors and your so you're saying that you have a different sort of like work style for between like creative academic, work and yep. creative work? Yeah. Yep. Academic work is so different for me, That's but creative work is just, it comes because you just don't know when you're inspired, you know, creative writing it for me is such an inspiration and it comes from a place of like, um, I, I guess just life, you know, wow. people like, or I'll read a book or I'll listen to another song and be inspired to write another song or I will be walking somewhere and you know, I'll be like, oh, that just makes me feel things and I want to write about it, which is the hardest because I don't have a pen and pencil when I'm walking. And so I'll pull out my recorder and be like, I have done it. I've done it in Kmart. Yes. I've done it in Woolies. 
I've done it. I love it. Do you think that you're like that one person that all the Kmart employees talk about? And they're like this one time, this woman just pulled out a thing in the middle of the aisle and started singing. Pretty much. I do like look around before I actually start singing into my thing. And I'm just like, oh my God, but you're like actually singing. That's, I've done that. Like I've been on walks and I've like, improv dialogue to myself yeah so I've just been like I like I there's like a voice note where I was like okay I'm like on this walk right now and just like envision that like you know I just saw this hot guy walking past and that was like a really funny moment and like imagine if like I put so I'm like talking to myself but singing is different haven't done yeah that. No. it's it's and it's not even like it, and it's original music so you're just like humming into and being loud enough so the so the <laughs> So the voice recorder will actually pick it up. I'm just like, I can't hum to myself because the voice recorder won't pick it up. So I need to hum it loud enough. And so I'm just like, please, no one walk next to me. It's please, I'm recording. (laughs) I kind of love that though. Yeah. That's a good tip though. Just like do it, just in like, do it anyway. Um, But I guess let's talk about the breaths in between. How did this project start? Like what was, yeah, let's go there. Yeah, absolutely. Um, So it started from a little bit of a weird place. So when we started 11 o'clock theatre, I was really keen to do a queer version of the last five years. That's been my dream for a really long time because I think it's a gorgeous, gorgeous show. Um, But it is incredibly heteronormative and it is incredibly white as well. And just so... um, Just so by the book in the way that it's often performed. And I was just really keen to take that and absolutely fuck with it. and I also think that like telling that story, um, particularly between like two queer femme presenting people is a really, really interesting way that you could interpret that piece. But the um, the musical theatre overlords did not want it to be. Um, the people that own the copyright for that work do not want to interpret it in that way. Um, and we thought that for our inaugural production, we really shouldn't, um, you know, sort of go above board and just piss off rights people from the get-go. So um, I sort of took a step back and there was a lot of frustration tied to that, a lot of frustration because um, we were sort of in this place where we really wanted to sort of look at this piece of musical theatre in a new and exciting way and weren't able to do it and kind of just made us go, fuck it, we're just going to create something new. And that's how The Breath In Between was born. I was like, there, you know, what we're wanting to do is look at how um, love stories are told in musical theatre and the fact that they're often told um, in an incredibly white, abled, um, heteronormative, cisnormative way. And how can we create a space to develop something new that fills those gaps? And so that's where the breaths in between came from. Hell yeah. I love that. When was that idea birthed? Was that like last, like, yeah. No, it was in like January of this year. It's all happened very quickly. It's all happened really quickly. Yeah. No way. That's, that's amazing. Cause yeah, I think, wow. Okay. That did happen really quickly. Damn, yeah. that was quick. Yeah. yeah. When did you hold um the when like did you call, do out. The call out? Early March, maybe? Yeah. No, it was before that. Oh no. Maybe earlier, March, February, yeah. March. I'm I'm not sure. It was a little bit of a whirlwind. Like we kind of sat out and sat down and nutted out the project in the space for like a couple of days. And it's just like gone and we didn't expect it to work. And it's now happening, which is that's how the best bonkers. happened. Yeah. They're very quick. Yeah, very um, quick. I can sort of back up. It was definitely January because I think I came onto this project when I was, we had our first initial meeting in January, you and mm-hmm. I, Maya, mm-hmm. because I remember at the time I was in hotel quarantine in New Zealand. Yes, yes. Oh, yes. Oh, wow. Very specific yes. moment in my life. 
Because, okay, so the the thing is, I've been trying to get Quek to come and work on a show for a long time. So when we were going to do the last five years, I was like, Quek, please come and do it. And he's going to be in New Zealand, so he couldn't. And then this like gorgeous, this gorgeous kismet has happened where we weren't able to do the last five years. We've created this new project. And because of COVID, which has been shit in literally every other way, yeah. Quek was now available for this project. Finally. Hey, yes. Yes. <laughs> That's so beautiful. How do you feel about that, Jacob, being like, you were like, you were needed on this project. Like, you know, I you didn't have to fight for this. You were like, they were like, we want you. No, I don't think that I've ever felt more valued in a project. Yeah. Uh, like as much as I have on this project. And that's made me feel really special. Um, but also, and I'm sure we're going to dive into this some other time, but there's been a whole lot of imposter syndrome that comes along with something like this. Yeah. With being asked to do something as opposed to um, like having to apply and like being sort of taken on your own merit things like that. There's a lot of like feelings of, am, am I the right person? Um, but no, I feel special. I feel great. And I am so thankful. Um, but it has been amazing. Yeah, I love that. It's, um, I mean, also for anyone. Okay, so I guess we should probably for our listener who's probably like, what the heck? Like, why are we all together right now? So I am a writer on this project. And then if you guys want to like tell you what your roles are, and then we can kind of dive into the conversation. <laughs> so it makes sense. So people have context. <laughs> Can we also talk about what the project is? I realize that we haven't actually said. Yes, and we, we should do that. So let's, well, no, my, you did, I'm going to find that out in editing. That might, I'm going to, no, you touched on it, but yes, we should actually, because that was the next question. Okay, sorry. Circle back, circle back. <laughs> Fine. It'll all connect. I know, it'll all connect. I'll make it work. Um, yeah, okay, let's start with what the project is, and then we can, like, go, you guys can, yeah, introduce what you do on the project. Yeah, let's do that. Okay, so The Breaths In Between is a new musical initiative um, and basically we've taken 10 writers and composers from across Victoria and New South Wales um, to collaborate on this piece and all of the writers are either um, queer identifying or are BIPOC um, or disabled and or neurodiverse and or body diverse. So we really aimed to um, bring people onto the project who don't currently feel represented in musical theatre and we've put them through, uh, we put them through like an eight-week um like explorative boot camp where we explored lots of different aspects of musical theatre and got them to write a bunch of stuff and then spent a few weeks sort of drilling down into content and different like moments that we wanted to explore throughout the piece, um, which is really exciting. And now we have a cast, which is awesome. So we're working with them as well. We've got um, eight beautiful, beautiful cast members. Um, but yeah, the project is really just about giving people a space to explore and seeing when we bring these people together who perhaps don't get opportunities in musical theatre or don't see themselves represented, what are the incredible things that they can create? Yeah. Hell yeah. That's what it is, everyone. <laughs> <laughs> I just also would like to note that I love that you just said, yeah, we put them through this like eight week. And I just like, it made it sound really like intense. Like it was like, yeah, no. do this boot camp and it was like, no. you write every day. That's what it was, guys. It was. It was brutal. No, I'm kidding. It was actually delightful and amazing. Three hours on Zoom once a week. Yeah, it was. It's great though. Like I, I always did look forward to our Tuesday nights. Oh, I miss it. Yeah. Mm. Jacob, did you have anything to say? 
No, I think they summarized it so well. Well, let's jump into the conversation about imposter syndrome because this is something, oh my God. And also I'd like to note that I also mentioned this to like, so I, <laughs> this is going to get personal. My therapist the other week was like, have you heard about imposter syndrome? And I was like, I was like, buddy, we don't, I, yes, I have. And he was like, hmm, we might want to look into that. And I was like, oh, I've already have. I know I got it. It's, you don't need, but thank you, a medical professional for telling me validated thank you for validating <laughs> thank you for validating me um but that's a real thing and i think a lot of artists out there listening to this will relate to that um because i know for me jumping onto this project i was so excited but i also had major imposter syndrome i remember the first like time when we all introduced ourselves and i was like oh my god <laughs> like i'm not meant to be here it's, why have you chosen me <laughs> honestly it's hard to like say things out loud like I'm very very recently getting comfortable with the fact when I introduce myself and people are like oh what do you do I'm like oh I'm a writer composer and when I say that out loud it's just kind of like oh that must mean it's true <laughs> it's like it's just in your brain the more you say it it's just kind of like oh this is real and now there's no going back it's like, I'm just gonna retract. <laughs> no, I can't do it. It's there. Um, so yeah, I guess I guess coming from that, it's just kind of like I guess the more you say things out loud, it's the power of words, people underestimate it. Um, saying things out loud, people really underestimate that power. Saying things out loud is such a beautiful, cathartic thing to do. And I encourage everyone to do it. I'm just on a very spiritual journey at the moment, but we can cut that out of the podcast. <laughs> I support that staying in, actually. <laughs> and I think as well, I think that we really assume that hierarchy denotes experience and power. I think that there's, you know, a lot of imposter, like a lot of imposter syndrome, and are at least personally like tied to entering a role for the first time. And that, you know, can be across like professional bounds, personal bounds, but even like existing as a queer human and being like, oh, am I queer enough? And that's a whole other side conversation. But I think there's a lot of imposter syndrome tied to identity as well as work. And like, it's so interesting because I know like, I also have a huge amount of imposter syndrome on this project. Like, I think, you know, no one, none of us know what we're doing. Like we're all just making it up as we go along. And I think that like, there's a real, no, but I think there's also like such this, it's so important, I think as well to be transparent about that and be like, yeah, none of us know what's going on. We're just figuring out together. Um, yeah, I don't really know where I was going with that, but I think that we, yeah, we have this real perception that hierarchy equals experience and knowledge. Whereas a lot of the time it is actually the direct opposite. I really connect with that. Um, I think I think one of the greatest pieces of advice um, that I sort of received was, you know, like willingness to learn and to be open is, you know, what makes a good creative. Um, and it's really hard to define myself as a creative because that's not my day job. Like my day job is very much office job, not creative. Um, I work in an office nine to five. Um, so it's really hard for me to define myself as a creative. But I think another piece of good advice that I received is, you know, if you do it, then that is what you are, you know, I, because I'm doing creative work, then I am a creative. Um, and I think it's really hard for me to get on board with that, but I yeah. am a creative. And yes. And how interesting Jacob as well, that like, 
you like identity is so attached to what we do as our day job I feel like and particularly as artists like a lot of the time our day job is completely miss um aligned to our actual creative practice um and it's so interesting that what you state yourself as is tied more to that nine to five job which in a lot of cases is a learning opportunity but it's also a paycheck um but the actual creative stuff that you put your you know blood sweat and tears into that you're doing for minimal pay just because you love it is not the thing that's at the forefront of your identity I think that like that's something that we all do but that's really really interesting 100 percent um I'm gonna because we're all creatives here um if you haven't already please go read big magic Big Magic um, by Elizabeth oh. Gilbert, the person who wrote Eat, Pray, Love. Um, please read it. You will feel like a new human being. <laughs> read that and read um, Still Like an Artist by Austin Kleon. Two, two very good creative books that I've read and I've come out of them um, being like, yeah, I can do this. It's a little boost. I love. Like an ego boost. Yeah. And it's really funny. It's really funny when you read someone else say those things and you're just like, yeah, I believe that. <laughs> it's it's a weird thing, isn't it? Um, but yeah, absolutely. To anyone listening, please, if you are an artist, read, read those two books. No, I love that's that's staying in the podcast. Um <laughs> no, it's really true. And I think another thing with imposter syndrome, at least what I've discovered is that it's this, I don't know if you all can relate, but being like, when you kind of like, if you like write down your achievements or what you've done, like X, Y, Z, like, you know, for you guys, you've like, you've put up this amazing project and it's like doing really well, but you still have that voice that's like, it's not enough. Like, I'm not good, even though there's literally mm -hmm. evidence to be like, no, like you are doing it. Even as a creative, it's like, you've done these things. It's like, there's evidence out there that's like, yeah, no, you're doing it, but we're still like, no, not good. 100%. And I think it also comes back to like the societal value that we place on artistic work and practice. It's like, you know, Jacob, I don't know about you. I also work in an office nine to five and I don't consider the theater work that I do on top of that as additional work. Do you know what I mean? Like it's, oh, it's creative. It's different. It's, you know, it's what I do in my spare time. It's, you know, there, there's this really like hobbyist element to it. If you're also sort of working within sort of a, you know, larger capitalistic system and it's and I think that there's a real like part of that imposter syndrome and actually staking your claim and saying I am a director I am a creative is actually acknowledging in the first place that that is work that is work that you're putting into yourself into your practice every hour every minute that you spend you know writing or you know <laughs> feeling like crappy about your writing or agonizing over it that is work and that's work that you're doing that's going to make you a better performer and a better creative and writer in the long run but I just feel like we have this like even within the artistic community, we have this perception that that is not work. That is that is all of the grunt stuff that you have to do before you can actually start doing work. Oh, hell yeah. Also, I really, oh, I, I hate the stereotype that's out there of like the starving artist and that if you do have like other like nine to five jobs, I've done that. I've, you know, worked nine to five and then done my creative things. And it's almost like, yeah, I never felt worth as an artist. Like I didn't feel like a real creative because I wasn't like starving. Yes. <laughs> because yeah. I was paying my bills and getting jobs to fund me, but I still made it work. Like I hate what? Why is that a thing? Mm. Yeah. Um, I think as well, there's this, like you said before, um, there's such a worth on artistic work 
but particularly the product of artistic work. Mm -hmm. And I think that we're getting so much out of the process that I don't think, I mean, the product matters, yes, but it's not the be all and end all. Like, I don't know, like one of the biggest things I'm worried about about this project is that, you know, it, it completely flops, let's say. Um, like worst case scenario completely flops um, and people will say, oh, you know, um, because the product was not good, then these people that made this product are not worth it, you know, in that sense. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. that's not firstly a good mindset. And secondly, it's not true. You know, I don't think that the product should completely define the process and the people involved with it. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that was a complete tangent to what you were saying before, but I don't know. I went in my own little thing there. I don't know. No, I feel that's so hard. I feel that's so hard. Um, and yeah, it's really hard. It's like, what's your, your checks and balances on productive work versus process. And I think this project, as you said, Jacob, it's highlighted so much that like the process is the most valuable thing as an artist. Um, I think that watching people's creative process unfold and, you know, being able to like just work with people to achieve something, I think like, and as Jacob said, like we've gotten the feedback that it's caused people to sort of, um, yeah, open their minds, as you said, Amitra, and like reanalyze how they approach their creative practice. And that's the win. At this point, it doesn't care. It doesn't matter what the product looks like, because if that can be true for everyone, if everyone can walk away having gotten something really tangible out of it and knowing that, you know, even if it was the tiniest seat, it, it helped them in some way or it pushed them towards a further opportunity or it just made them feel represented and like someone actually understood like how they were feeling when they go and sit in a musical theatre audience and just see the same production of Merrily We Roll Along 600,000 times. Um, you know, that's the win. Yeah. I agree. I think that's a really beautiful point um about I think and I think even as creatives we are stuck on the product I mean I definitely I can say for me like for the longest time um and I think that's what's been really beautiful about this project is that you guys have also created a really amazing community um and I think that's so important and something that I've learned this year that you need in this industry is to surround yourself with like really fucking great people and being in a safe space to like you said explore your process and honestly that's like the most fun like I think that's what being an artist is is the process and learning and like connecting and collaborating with people and like when you kind of you know obviously you have to still focus on the product and the end result but when you put less pressure on that I think it'll just be fucking awesome anyway like if you're do you know what I mean and like you said either way as long as someone's learned something or felt connected or like you know you made a connection I think that's so important um, but we do focus on, oh, but the product or what is this going to get for me or what am I going to gain? And it's like, we only, we're all in this together. Like, let's stop, you know, stop it. Um, I think, and this may be a completely controversial thought. <laughs> um, I think the good thing about having an imposter syndrome is that it keeps you humble. You know, um, I think that element of it keeps you humble, keeps you going, keeps you um, focused, you know, because you're always striving to be better. Otherwise, you just get arrogant and, you know, yeah. and narcissistic. Yeah. What's well, like, um, Jacob, it's like what you were saying about that willingness to learn and grow. Um, and that, you know, that is inextricably tied to imposter syndrome in a lot of ways, but it can exist outside of that as well. Um, yeah, 
and, and I agree that you need that fire in your belly. You need to know that there's still more out there and there's still more that you need to accomplish. Um, um, sorry, sorry, go Jacob. I, I, yeah, I just wanted to um, say, I don't think that's a controversial opinion at all. Mm. Um, I think that there is like straight up research that says that, you know, it's, it's good to have at least a, a, some sense of it. Um, Great. So that you're not, you know, a complete um, narcissist or something. Mm. You know? I would like to know, as per my therapist, <laughs> he did say, which I was trying to, I'm still trying to grasp because when he said it, I was like, oh, no, nah, not me. But he was like, people with imposter syndrome are the most intelligent and highly creative people. I'll take so, it. I'll take it. Take I it. Think, I think because if you have imposter syndrome, then you are sort of questioning where you sit, you know, you're saying... I'm not the best. And so there is that space to learn and to like sort of, yeah, and to um, improve your craft. Whereas mm -hmm. if you don't have imposter syndrome, you're basically saying, oh, I'm at, I'm at the top. There's nothing else for me to learn. And I think that that's a little bit, <laughs> it's a little bit. I mean, 100%. I don't know. I don't know if that's true though, because I think that like, there's a, there's a difference between coming into something and be like, I know that I've worked. Do I know that I'm going to do this? And like sort of viewing it from like this growth perspective, as opposed to coming into a project and being like, Oh, I don't feel like I deserve to be here. I think that that's a really big difference. Cause I think that like, it's really important to like, you know, um, push the, um, the idea that, yeah, everyone has a little bit of imposter syndrome and knowing that you don't know everything is so important and is such a key driver for creative practice. But we really need to divorce that, I think, from feeling like you don't belong or you're not worthy of being somewhere. Because I think that that's the toxic bit that can be really, really harmful. Um, whereas, yeah, if you kind of reorient it and go, cool, what am I going to learn here? What can I learn? If I don't feel like I deserve to be here, how can I make this work for me? What do I need to feel, you know, secure and like I can grow safely in a creative space? And I know that that's a lot easier said than done, but I think there's potentially like, there's def I think there's definitely a difference between knowing that you don't know everything and feeling like you don't deserve to be there. That's a re really astute um, differentiation, I think. Really helpful as well. I think that we all just get into our heads so much that it's not good. <laughs> I don't know. Really not. Like being inside a creative brain is, <laughs> it's like there's so much going on. <laughs> and like everyone's just like, you have your life together. I'm like, mm, yeah. <laughs> I'm like, if only you were inside my brain. <laughs> no, 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 <laughs> no. I agree. And I think there's something interesting to note that there isn't like within the like industry there's no like workshops or people like holding spaces to explore like imposter syndrome or talk about it. And not just like all the things like even mental health and that. And I think that's so important and integral to your practice as an artist, like to have, yeah. but like it, we don't talk about it. No, so because- Breath in between next project? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Imposter right. syndrome. Um, imposter syndrome. syndrome. Great. Um, right. No, but it's, it's so true because like we, really we view artistic practice as something that exists within yourself and is driven exclusively by yourself and we don't have that idea I think that you know we have an artistic community but there isn't always and it's popping up more and more now sort of over the last like few years which is incredible but we don't have this like holistic approach to what well-being for an artist is how do you embed self-care practice into your creative practice into the work that you're doing how do you actually you know take a step back, set your boundaries, be upfront about your boundaries when you're entering a project. How do you actually 
you know, actually account for the amount of work that something's going to take. Because a lot of the time it's like, oh yeah, I have time in my day for that slot of rehearsal. I'm going to slot it in around everything else that I'm doing. And it's like, no, 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 no. There's a lot of work that happens on a creative project, even just from your men- your well-being standpoint that occurs outside of that and around that. And I feel like as well, there's a real pressure as artists, particularly if you're not, um, you know, right at the top of that professional sphere to do as much as possible in as little time as possible. You have to be going, going, going. And I know for ages, if I only had one project going, I felt like a failure. You know, it's like, you're not doing enough. You need to be doing more and more and more. And it just destroys people. It's why the people burn out in this industry so quickly. Yeah, I'm still learning on how to not say no to projects. All right. Yeah. We have four going on. I'm just like, ah, ah, please. No, I'm I so, think that's I'm, such. Oh, no, sorry. Go, go. Keep no, talking. No. No. I'm just, I, I'm trying, I try so hard, but I feel like being, being in a foreign land and, you know, not having family here as well, you just kind of, you you fill the void you know and as artists I think you avoid sitting in that grief and that just you know you're just kind of like if I let my mind wander there it's gonna you're you're gonna crash um and I don't want that you know which is why you fill fill all your time hour by hour by everything that you want to do and you're just like great I'm gonna burn out but it's gonna keep me gonna keep me going (laughs) you know it's fine it's fine I know it's not healthy (laughs) I'm aware but look at how we're all nodding we all come like you know I think it's so it's so bad we need need to like identify that and find a way to like do that in a way that is healthier and doesn't actually like negatively impact because if you're doing all of that creative work to keep yourself like feeling healthy and on track and you know hey you know there's a lot to explore but like how can you actually do that in a way that's sustainable yeah but you know sometimes I just think back and I'm just like there's just no choice you know sometimes you just you don't have a choice and you just gotta put the band-aid on and keep going and rip it off at a later point when you feel safer I guess that's my yeah I think that's no I yeah there's lots of beautiful things coming up in this conversation I'm like oh my god we're like picking at the ball um but yeah and I okay I know this might tangent to like a different segue but I something that I've kind of been learning and, and I don't know if that's oh, I don't know how to even start in like learning this so mindset is really important in this industry and I think it's not it's talked about like everyone's like be mindful like everyone's like be mindful like practice and it's like what the fuck does that mean like you know so i think it needs to be more specific to help people um but something that i learned the other day was like reaching out to people and like being like hi like and i always am real like still am learning but i'm always really scared to do that because i feel like they're gonna think like i'm wanting something to get ahead or like i don't have space to actually ask someone for something because it's like I'm not worthy enough um and in terms of like when you're pitching like your work as well particularly in that sense and I did a workshop the other day and she was saying that you need to just like stop that mindset of like feeling like you're not worthy enough to pitch your work or like and I don't know if that's for me also being like queer and a person of color and feeling like a minority and I think I don't know what your experience with that 
kind of stuff of putting yourself out there and asking, I don't even know where this is going. I'm really just saying words, <laughs> but what is your take on that? And I guess, yeah, if that made sense. You just got to keep going. You just got to keep going. Um, I've, I've been where you are. Like um, once a project is finished and you're just kind of like, all right, what do I do with it now? You just reach out. You just keep reaching out. You send a bajillion emails. Um, and look, I think that process really taught me that the worst they'll say is no. You know, the worst thing they'll say is no. But you don't want to sit in the what ifs. You know, you don't want to sit in regrets and you don't want to sit in, well, maybe they could have. You know, so just, just do it. It's daunting. It's like <laughs> you sit on an email and you're just kind of like, I need to proofread this 50,000 times before I send it. Um, be, be nice, be polite, you know, um, and be transparent. I think that is the main thing. Be so transparent that they're, they're just kind of like, all right, great. This is what she wants. And once you clearly set out all the rules, the boundaries, your limitations, I think people are more open and respectful in that sense. And um, yeah, it just keeps going. It's a vicious cycle. You just keep, keep submitting, keep growing. And, you know, one day you'll get a yes, which has, yeah, it's happened, you know, and it's, it's a process. It's absolutely a process. So to anyone that's starting out writing or, you know, putting out work, you just gotta hustle mm. I love that word <laughs> and I think as, as well like just picking up on that like lean on your community I know that we've said a lot of things about how you know artists tend to get super siloed but nine times out of ten if you just message someone on Facebook or on Instagram and you say hey you, I really like admire the work that you're doing would you have 30 minutes for me to you know buy your coffee or in this case a virtual coffee and chat about how you got to where you got to nine times out of ten people will be thrilled to do that like we really support like, you know, in a, on a real ground, like on the ground basis, we really support each other in this industry and just, yeah, don't hesitate. I like everyone I know that's ever been reached out to by someone who's just been like, Hey, random, but I'd love to have a chat has been thrilled. Absolutely. And it's just, it's, it's so nice to be reached out as well, you know? Uh, and those are the people we want to surround ourselves with willing and um, willing to share their craft as well. You know, it's just kind of like, don't be selfish with your craft. <laughs> like you've learned all of these things, spread it, <laughs> spread it. You know, we, we want community. We don't, we want community, not competition. And we know we, we sit in that, like it is cutthroat, this industry. And I guess um, we kind of need to change that a bit. We need to celebrate each other's wins um, and just, you know, support each other. It's hard enough, all right? The world is and hard enough. And celebrate wins, each other's wins without feeling like we've missed out on an opportunity because Absolutely. someone else has taken our spot. Yes, yeah. 100%. I would also like to note, um, can we also <laughs> talk about our rejections more openly? Just in general, and I know they suck, but I think there's also, okay, every time I say this, I'm like, I'm not saying that we should celebrate our wins, 100%. Girl, celebrate everything. I do. Um, but I think it's also important to open up the conversation about 
are rejections and you know that we all because you know I bet you like each one of us is like yeah we've had a lot um but because I guess you know also social media we're always seeing all the good stuff which is amazing that you know it can it's a mental toll because you're like only seeing oh okay that person's really successful and then you don't see all the other stuff going on behind so we can be like oh I'm not worthy so talk about your rejections Absolutely. Normalizing rejections is, it's such a main thing in this industry. And we all know it. We all know it. (laughs) Like it's there. It's, it's part of being an artist. Um, But I guess you just, you keep going, you know, it's another day, another rejection. And you're just kind of like, cool, move on. Oh, sorry, Jacob. No, no, you go. You go ahead. Okay, I was just gonna say really quickly as well, like rejection is not failure in a lot of circumstances. Like most of the time, particularly if you're going up for an acting gig, they are seeing, like a casting director is seeing up hundreds of other people. And particularly if you're looking at like an independent theater, pro- like, you know, where perhaps there's only like 50 people going for a show with a cast of 10 or whatever, it's still a huge amount. And people looking for the meld of the people, it isn't, it's very rarely reflective of people's actual creative practice. Yeah, I just wanted to add on to that and say that that, actually really great uh, segue because I was going to say that my biggest um, thing with you know rejection from auditions or pitches or anything I always like hesitate about sharing those or even sharing that I'm auditioning for something in the case that I am or I'm not successful because I do see it as a failure and I think that's something I need to you know uh, talk, talk through in my own head but it yeah and like whenever I don't I'm not successful with something I always sort of attribute it to something else as well I'm always like oh you know it wasn't me it was because of this which can be helpful but it can also maybe not be helpful because I am hesitant to then grow from that I don't know I'm talking in circles I think seeing audition uh, non-successes as failures is not helpful and I think we should share them more so I'm <laughs> on your point I am totally agreeing with you yeah and also like just to kind of like tangent off that and apologies if we're going off topic but but there's this real perception that you should feel so lucky that you even got to audition. You should feel so lucky that you even got to pitch your work. You should feel so lucky that you even had the pleasure of putting in a grant application. So if you get rejected, they don't owe you anything. And it's this horrendous, and it comes back to this like hierarchy implements power and suitability. Like we need to, you know, what, you know, I hope that we can sort of move towards as a practice where like the actors are offering just as much to the creative team as the creative team is offering to the actors. There needs to be that mutual benefit there because at the end of the day, the actors are integral to something going ahead. The writer is integral to a, you know, a a new project going ahead. If we don't have that two-way communication, that two-way respect and that two-way understanding that actually, no, 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 we're going to learn just as much from you as you're going to learn from us. You know, that's, we're going to fail. Um, I actually wanted to ask this question. Um, so, so you made that point of like, oh, you know, you should feel so lucky to be in this room. And I wanted to ask this question to, you know, I, I, we're all sort of like um, minorities in some context um, in this, I guess, in this call. How do you feel when like in an audition room or something or in a call out, they specify for, you know, people of color or, you know, people who identify as queer? Like, I don't know. It's really interesting because it is that thing of like, we're calling out for you. Oh, but you should feel lucky that we're even calling out for you. You know, and I'll me try. I know you had, um, I remember you mentioning that you had an audition where they specifically asked you because 
like you you said that you were not right for the role at all but they asked you because you were a person of color absolutely um yeah you you sometimes sit there and wonder you're just like did you even look at my cv <laughs> like i'm like what you are asking for is not something i can do you know but i still applied to prove a point and that point was proved <laughs> so yeah look it's it's hard um but you know what i i still wear it as as a badge of honor you know being a person of color and being a minority it doesn't stop me and i'm going to keep going and i guess if <laughs> if the industry it's got a long way you know it's got a long way and I guess at this point we do need to kind of bash it over the head to kind of make a slight difference. It needs to make bigger waves so then it can, you know, actually come back and do the things. I don't know. I've lost the point. Sorry. No, <laughs> I think that's that's a really beautiful question because I think like yeah, the word diversity and asking for, you know, these minority groups is being thrown around, um, which is beautiful. And it's so great because it is um, creating space for us to be seen. But also another way, I'm like, yeah, but we've always been here. And like, so, you know, I think for me, it's, it depends on the project and the people. I think for, you know, I guess, you know, the bigger companies and theater companies out there. Um, it is, you can tell when they're doing the call out that it is purely just to tick a box and to say that we've done it. And I don't agree with that. Um, and that can also be really harmful because when you apply for that, you can then be like, oh, am I just, and if you get through, you're like, like I'll meet you with her experience. It's like, well, am I just here because you just wanted to tick that box? Like, and then, you know, then it creates like this whole thing of like, I'm not good enough or am I good enough? Like, and the imposter syndrome. But for example, like a project like this, where you guys were specifically calling out, but it was rooted in like authenticity of being like, no, we're here because, you know, we want to call out these artists and create work that makes you feel seen and heard. So how did you guys navigate the casting process? <laughs> It, was, it took us days and it was it, so freaking hard. Yeah, it took us days and as much like going back and forwards about like how many people can we physically fit on the stage that we're going to have and how many people can we physically teach content to in the time that we have it. Like it was it, it was really, really difficult to actually narrow down because as you said, it's like we're incorporating the input A of 10 writers of, you know, five creatives um, for a show that, you know, we don't even know if it's going to go ahead in a theatre, you know, there's all of these like variables and all of these people have come to us. And this is, I think the most challenging part is everyone who auditioned, auditioned because they believe in the ethos of the project. And I think that that is a real, like, that's something that we don't take lightly, you know, and people sharing parts of themselves throughout the audition process and throughout the callback process, that is something that we do carry. And we don't want anyone to ever feel like the reason that they didn't come, like that we we don't see it. We didn't see it, I don't think, as just a, you know, tick audition process or, oh, you submit a video, we watch your video and we make a judgment. We've read everyone's applications because we asked questions about why they wanted to be involved, all of that sort of thing. And, you know, we read that, we took that to heart and we, yeah, it was, it was so challenging and we're so happy and privileged to have the group that we have. Um, which is amazing. 
Um, but yeah, as you said, it's so hard. Like how, how do you create the roadmap, you know? And at the end of the day, we just had to kind of be like, look, who can do the best justice to the work that we have in the time that we have to do it. Yeah. It was really hard. Just really, really hard. <laughs> yeah. I guess when you were there, when you were, because it went from uh, the callbacks, did you have 12 people in your, no, how many in the callback? 18. 18. <laughs> um, <laughs> and how many did we end up with? Eight. Yeah. So what, how was that process of trying to get from 18 to eight? Like what factors and questions were coming into mind that you were like, this is how we make this decision? Yeah. They're all talented and yeah, it's hard. It's so hard. Um, we, we genuinely, we had a conversation be like, can we just have 14 people? Can we just have 10 people? Can we just have nine people? And eight was sort of our upper cap. Um, but we really were like, you know, where can we fit these people in? Who's going to benefit from telling these stories? Who's going to do the writer's work justice? Um, but we went, I think what Jacob and I made sure we went for like five days or six days deliberating. Yep. It was a really long process and it was, it was hard because not everyone had the same opinions and it wasn't unanimous. And we're mm. just kind of going back and forth and back and forth. And then I guess it comes to a point where um, I guess someone needs to make a call. And I'm so glad I wasn't that person. <laughs> so glad I wasn't that person. I'm like, I just sat there and I'm like, oh, this is really hard. I do not envy. I do not envy Maya and Jacob <laughs> and Mel. I, just, I don't envy them. Um, but it's so many factors, so many that I myself don't consider sometimes. You know, when you're a performer, you just kind of go into the audition room, you see the panel and you're just kind of like, cool, this is just another audition. Um, but in a project like this, you know, where the mission statement is so strong and evident, um, it's really hard. And then you have to like, you have to sit with that. You know, once you make that decision, you're just like, yes, we've made the right call and there's no going back. So it's hard. So well done, man, Jacob. Thank you. Um, I think one of the things that we also sort of looked at was, you know, how are we thinking that these people are going to work with each other and with us? And, you know, like what are, like how, like, because everybody can contribute something so lovely. And one of the things we looked at was, you know, like, well, uh, I don't know. It was how, oh man, I don't even know what I'm saying. Mm -hmm. Everybody was awesome. And it was just so hard. And like, yeah. I honestly could not boil the process down. It's, but it's, yeah, it's like, how well, are those people going to work together? And also like, you know, we were looking for some of the really specific things we were looking at were like people who are willing to make offers in the space who had taken the material and clearly read it and, you know, looked at it because that is what this whole process is. It's digesting material and seeing what you can pull out of it. And so that definitely factored in as well. And I think that that's it, like, you know, to generalize, like in casting a lot, of, it's, it's really difficult because we say that what we want is to make offers. And I know a lot of um, people, particularly on pre-existing work, don't feel like that. So it's hard to be like, when you come into a callback room, you should do X, Y, and Z. Um, but we just, yeah, we tried our best to be as upfront with our expectations of what we wanted as possible. And, but yeah, as they said, it's, 
yeah it was hard what Mm. makes you passionate about this project there we go that's the question I want everyone that is involved in the project and everyone that comes to see it in the audience to see something and look it's probably just going to end up being a song cycle a collection of songs and vignettes and that's great that's awesome but I just want people to come in watch it and say oh wow I haven't seen that before I didn't know that I was you know we've already um and you know it's quite it's yeah it's bonkers we've already had like feedback from the actors being like I didn't know I needed this representation until I heard this content and I'm so excited to share that with more people and I think that if everyone that comes and sees it can have a moment like that that yeah that's all I want yeah, just to echo that, I think at the beginning of this project, we had a discussion on, you know, like, what do we want to get out of it? Um, and in terms of product, I remember one of the things that I said is I want people to sit in that audience and be like, that's me. Mm-hmm. Or I, I feel that, you know, in a very, like, connected sense, I guess. And I think one of the things I kept on echoing was we wanted authentic stories told in an authentic way written by the people that it concerns and I think that's the way to do it in terms of um, experience what I want to get out of it um, in the writer's room I think we've already achieved it all the learning that we've done and um, you know I think that's I'm knocking on wood but I think that that's a really special thing and um, I think hopefully we achieve the same with the cast sorry to interject I just saw everyone slightly move their arm to knock on a piece of wood near them when you said that and it was beautiful superstitions are just so wild but yeah I do want to do some fun questions so (laughs) all right first question for all of you is if a movie was made about your life what genre would it be and who would play you my life absolutely drama drama and um Katrina Lank yes She's so great. Yes. She's also so beautiful. Oh, I would definitely be a dark comedy in terms of who would play Ooh. me. I have no, no freaking clue. Katrina Link was such a good answer on Metro. Yeah, so it's- <laughs> I'd want it to be, want I would want it to be, I would want it to be directed by Rachel Chapkin if that could be her like pivot from musical theater into, okay. into film that I would buy that. Okay. I feel like genre for me definitely something comedic I always whenever I get like cast um as a performer I always tend to be like you know oh the goofy best friend (laughs) the goofy sidekick so I feel like I would take like a b-plot role in my own film (laughs) oh my god um but something definitely comedic I kind of think Ken Jong. yeah yeah. I reckon that'd be really funny. But also, I don't know. <laughs> I reckon I'm a huge fan of Aquafina. Yeah. I think she's great. Um, yeah. So if she could play me somehow, that would be freaking fantastic. And a bender. Yeah. Why not? It's your yeah. own film about your life. Why you could you have all control, creative control. I love that. Okay, next question. What do What's you first... your answer? Oh, are me? you allowed to answer oh, your own questions? I can, yeah. <laughs> Katy Perry. I, okay. <laughs> hey, actually, actually, 
It's not. Shakara? <laughs> okay, mine would be a dark comedy. And who would play me if they wanted someone that kind of looked like me? Um, Demi Lovato, obviously. Yes, because beautiful. they... All the time. Um, but that's only if Demi wanted to really transition into film. So respect if she wants to continue... Um, if they want to continue their music career. Uh, but then it would either be Emma Stone or Anna Kendrick. Yeah. Oh. Yeah, I can see Anna Kendrick yeah. doing that. Yeah. yeah, like the awkward. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Anna Although Kendrick. Anna Kendrick, a bit of a diva, I've heard. So it might be really? problematic. Yeah, I've had people uh, work with her. Um, okay, what do you first notice about someone when you meet them? Their body language, like how open they are to talking to you. Um, I reckon the eyes, it's, it's all in it. Mm-hmm. I was going to say that. Yeah. Yeah. All in eyes. the eyes. All in the gonna, eyes. Yeah. I think it's all like, or I think you like, you take in the body language and like the eye contact or like mm-hmm. where their eyes mm-hmm. are looking mm-hmm. just like sort of without thinking, without processing. Mm-hmm. And I think probably that's it. Yeah. Which actually is really hard on Zoom land <laughs> because... It's like, yeah. where are you looking? Because everyone's screen is like different. Yeah. You would be surprised though. Um, mm-hmm. I, so I've recently started um, tutoring some classes at the university, um, nice. which is happening on Zoom. And you can really tell somehow on Zoom whether students are engaged or not. Well, do you think that it's because of mimicry? Like, do you think that they sort of mimic your enthusiasm um, or they sort of mimic mm-hmm. some element of your body language, but if they're not focused, they're just completely in their own world? I don't know, maybe. I have, I, I did see something very funny though. Cause you know how like when people yawn, like people tend to yawn. Yeah. Somebody yeah. said, uh, maybe this was posted on the internet or something. Somebody was like, if you're wanting to see if somebody's like looking at your square on Zoom, yawn. And if they yawn, they're watching you. So sneaky. Oh, that's actually oh. so good. Catch me on the next Zoom call yawning. <laughs> um. Okay, and last question. What is the last uh, film or TV show that you watched that really stuck with you? Creamery. I watched Creamery last week. That was fascinating. What um, is it? It's, it's a, like a New Zealand series and it's like this post-apocalyptic world where a virus has wiped out all men. Oh. And just like how they live. And it's like a weird, like it's kind of like a Handmaid's Tale meets the Wilds sort of a vibe. It's very good. It's on SBS on demand. Go watch it. And like three like banging Asian leads as well. Um, I don't watch too much film and television (laughs) um, just because I'm the type of person I said before, like I struggle with like sitting down and finishing something. I think it comes back to um, like, just like that ability to like sit down and commit myself entirely to something for for a set amount of time. And I think I struggle to do that. Maybe I have commitment issues. I don't know. Is that something I'm learning on this podcast? I think so. Yeah. We've just... Oh, wow. <laughs> Things are making sense. No. But um, I do, I think the last thing that I sort of watched on a screen that really stuck with me was Bo Burnham's Inside. Mm-hmm. That was a while ago, but it oh. remains in there. Remains in there. That was like a really like, yeah, I had a friend who was like, watch it, and then went, oh, actually, wait. She's like, are you mentally stable right now? And I was like, mm, 
probably not. She was like, maybe wait then. Um, and then I watched it anyway and was like, yeah, now I understand why she said that. It was a good uh, and still also is stuck with me. <laughs> Yeah, oh Jacob, I think like you, I don't watch too much um, film and TV. And even if I do, I just keep rewatching mm -hmm. previous things and Friends is always on the background. Oh, um, but no, I think um, Umbrella Academy was my last solid. Oh, yeah. Uh, we made it. <laughs> the rapid the fire questions took like, so much longer than rapid so fire. <laughs> That's half the podcast is just. So I'm going to say thank you for part one. Yeah. <laughs> this has been delightful. Thank um, and thank you for chatting. Thank yeah. you so thank much you for having, having us. us. It's thank been you. so lovely. Oh, I'm glad. It'd be really awkward if you were like, actually, it was a shit time. <laughs> <laughs>